Welcome to Radiate Radio, your international sound wave for sit-downs, podcasts and more. So stay tuned and follow our Instagram page for the latest. Hello, hello everybody. You are now listening to The Now World, the only show that tells you what's going on and what's happening right here, right now. It's your old host, Tommy J, bringing you the latest in international electoral news. And you may be asking, Thomas, where the hell have you been? You just missed a Hungarian election. Don't you know how important that is? Well, don't worry, my my loyal listeners. You'd be happy to know that I spent money and time to do intrepid reporting and groundbreaking journalism to bring you an election that's sure to be to rock your socks off. Ladies and gentlemen, the now world proudly presents the French presidential election! Hello, everybody, and welcome. Uh, this is Election Watch. Finally, I've given a name to uh, what we've been doing lately on uh, Radiate Radio here. Um, it's where I get to fulfill my obsession with electoralism, and you are forced to listen. Today, we're going to be talking about the uh, the glorious French presidential election. And I've, we have a special guest today um, with uh, DeBots, Elliot Underhill. Pleasure to have you on today. Thank you, Thomas. Good evening. It's good to be here. Yeah, so we... Uh, on today's schedule, we're mainly going to be talking about what is a France. Actually, I want to ask my guests, what is a France? <laughs> well, well, thank you, Thomas. Uh, France is a country uh, in the west of the European Union, uh, boasting approximately 67 million people. And it is a unitary, semi-presidential republic with a strong focus on the presidential aspect of its republic, which is why it is so interesting for those of us who love electoral politics as they have an election coming up on the 10th and the 24th of this month. Yeah. France, unlike other countries, they have a uh, two uh, rounds, uh, which is unusual in some countries, particularly from our country, America. We only have, you know, it's one and done, you know. Yeah, I think in the now, admittedly, I'm, I'm you know, showing my ignorance here in terms of, uh, you know, knowledge of, of uh, politics here in the European Union. But I believe uh, only Slovakia actually also has a two round presidential election here in the EU, although I know really? that Peru is famous for theirs over in South America. Yeah. But in France, it's particularly interesting uh, today as we're seeing the traditional political parties that have dominated France's uh, two-party uh, or, you know, two-round electoral system uh, have really fallen apart over the last few years. And um, now, of course, I'm going to be butchering the innocent French language, and for that I apologize. The the typical two parties that have uh, consistently dominated French politics, um, you know, for the past few decades um, are various incarnations of a Gaullist party, today Les Républicains, uh, and the uh, Parti Socialiste, uh, which are a conservative and a social democratic party, respectively. Uh, today, as we can see, however, uh, those parties' candidates are polling uh, very poorly. And in fact, uh, the ones that are doing quite well in comparison and are likely to enter the second round um, in which the president will actually be chosen after a narrowing of the field uh, are the liberal Emmanuel Macron and the uh, quite far right Marine Le Pen, who yeah. uh, you might have remembered. That was also the matchup last year. But I think before we you know, really dive into the question of first round, second round, we should just briefly explain how it works if it wasn't clear from the context, yeah. uh, which is that in the first round, uh, 12 candidates will be running. And then if neither of them uh, reach over 50% of the vote, then there will be a second round held uh, that will capture um, the actual winner. Uh, the yeah. Candidate. Yeah, no, I mean, so 
let's look at those players right now. Um, let's pull up these uh, the numbers game for elections. In first place, as we said, um, is uh, Emmanuel Macron uh, with uh, from Le, uh, La République en Marche. He is a center center left or center right, depending on who you ask. Uh, Liberal Party that won and uh, made a big upset for a lot of traditional parties back in 2017, particularly the Socialists and the uh, Les Républicains. He is currently polling at 27% in the first round, according to Politico. Um, then followed by Marie Le Pen in second place uh, with 22%, and uh, Jean Luc Mélenchon uh, with uh, 16% in the th- in third place. So let's give you a brief rundown on who these uh, top three players are. Uh, Emmanuel Macron um, was is the incumbent president and is the leader of La République en Marche, uh, center 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 right or center left um, uh, liberal party. Um, he used to be a former socialist member, a party member, and was a uh, former banker of Rothschilds. So a bit of an interesting background right there. Key policies that he has done since 2017 was uh, liberalize labor laws, which um, you know drew opposition from labor unions back in uh, 20 back in uh, 2018 or 2017, from what I can remember. But he was able to successfully um, reduce unemployment rate uh, from 10 percent to 7.1 percent in early 2020. Though that ultimately changed with the pandemic. He also reduced taxes and brought public spending down, including scrapping the wealth tax, which used to target our real estate. It's, this was a policy that was implemented back in the 80s by uh, the former socialist president, uh, François Mitterrand, and led to, which led to uh, capital flight back in the 80s. He is also a very pro-EU uh, candidate and has been uh, one of the, the darlings for uh, a lot of the you know establishment uh, uh, supporters. Um, with his uh, di- diplomacy and public persona on the international f- uh, stage. He has also been m- pushing for further inter- European integration uh, with uh, cooperation with Germany and wanting to have uh, a European army as well, which is the newest thing that has uh, come out in the wake of the uh, Ukrainian war. He also has some more controversial policies other than the uh, producing uh, taxes, which is uh, see- speaking to reorganize Islamic uh, religion in France, because in France, it unlike most uh, Western countries, it is based on this principle of laïcité. So, Ellie, you, you want to give us an explanation of what is laïcité? Yeah, sure. Well, laïcité is unique as a particularly strict form of secularism, and it has emerged as not necessarily a uh, secularism of a neutral ground, perhaps, between religions, which, you know, there's a great debate as to whether secularism could ever be that in the first place. Yeah. But it has emerged as a um, sort of anti-religion advocate. It has gone from, you know, a wall between church and state representing things like, you know, limiting uh, the clergy's influence in government mm-hmm. and has gone into things such as um, banning uh, religious symbols such as uh, the hijab. And, you know, of course, it is controversial as to whether that can really be considered a religious symbol. Um in the public sphere, for yeah. example, for public employees. Um, this is, of course, uh, massively controversial uh, within France, which has a Muslim population of approximately 4%, uh, which is a lot of people um, who are obviously very concerned about, you know, state crackdown on their religion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and plus, like, the, the, main, the main idea about uh, laïcité is not freedom to religion, but freedom from religion. Um, and that is one of the concerns, because often people would say that this is a, uh, what's it called, a double standard since they wouldn't be doing this towards people who are, I guess, Christian as well. Um, so, and this 
can give grounds to like more right wing policies of like potential racism or uh, Islamophobia as well. Yeah, I think that it's definitely I don't really even think that it can be. um, I agree with that, Thomas. I think that it is pretty much undoubtable at this point that the French government has uh, enacted certain policies under the banner of laicite, which uh, can be described pretty objectively speaking as uh, Islamophobic or as particularly um, uh, difficult, at least for uh, French Muslims, uh, as opposed to any laws affecting, you know, Christians. Yeah. I think that this is a particular sticking point in this election. Um, the front runners, with the exception of Jean-Luc Mélenchon, have all um, been very vocal in their opposition of um, what you could call or what they would call Islamicization. I think that's you know uh, a bit of an exaggeration of uh, French society. Um, and this really came to a peak uh, with uh, the unfortunate murder of a French school teacher yeah. um, by an Islamic extremist, uh, someone who was a uh, fundamentalist actor. Um, now, this, of course, obviously very unrepresentative of Muslims in France. Um, it really did change uh, the political scene in the sense that it brought forward, even from Emmanuel Macron, a lot of very open policies targeting uh, specific Muslim communities within. Um, Even his own interior minister uh, went on talk shows talking about, um, instead of talking about perhaps the uh, reduction of extremist activity and the closing down of particular, uh, you know, extremist mosques uh, espousing a very extremist principles, his interior minister immediately went on talk shows talking about uh, seeing halal food in supermarkets. So perhaps a, perhaps a bit of a distraction. There. Yeah. And, and this goes uh, into, into more uh, opposition towards uh, Emmanuel Macron has also come from uh, people, um, not just from uh, Muslims, but also, you know, a lot of other uh, parts of uh, French society, particularly what we saw in 2018 with the Gilets jaunes uh, protests. Um, which was a broad populist movement uh, that arose from like, you know, rising crude oil prices, high cost of living, economic inequality, and uh, claiming that the disproportionate burden of taxation in France was uh, falling on the working middle class. And this was something that arose back in 2018. And you can still feel the reverberations of it today. You saw this back in 2019 as well. You also saw this with the uh, the anti-COVID riots as well in France, with the same populist uh, disapproval of Macron. From that popular resentment of Macron has been, you know, an opportunity for his opponents to actually garner support and probably even win the presidential election. And one of those uh, candidates who has been incredibly successful so far um, in utilizing that resentment has been uh, Marie Le Pen, uh, who is the current uh, runner-up in the uh, in the presidential election. She is from the far-right party of uh, Rassemblement National. Uh, funnily enough, actually, it was a party that was created by her dad in 1972. Yeah. And the policies that she's been able to to say that has been very appealing to a lot of voters has been ones uh, that have come recently uh, with the economic crunch that a lot of Western nations have felt uh, with the response of sanctions on Russia um, in, in light of the Ukrainian crisis. Since initially, Macron was doing well in the polls because of his uh, leadership um, and his diplomatic persona um, and leading and looking like a leader of Europe um, and for the French people in face of uh, Putin's aggression. But as a lot, but as other European countries have felt that once once the French people has started getting their gas bill or getting their uh, looking at their prices at the grocery stores, people have, have actually changed their mind with rising inflation, rising gas prices, increasing cost of living following purchasing power, a lot of French people have become uh, 
less supportive of Macron. And Le Pen has won from that and has appealed to that. For example, she wants to uh, have no income tax on those aged under 30, reduce uh, VAT on energy from 20% to 5%, and have zero VAT on essential products, for example, pasta or diapers. If you're Italian, I think pasta is an essential and you should have zero VAT on that. For sure. Le Pen has really capitalized on the rising cost of living that has made it quite difficult. And this isn't just a response uh, to the Russo-Ukrainian war. This is also due to uh, the supply chain issues that many Western nations have been facing uh, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And the thing that... <clears throat> My apologies. <clears throat> yeah. And the thing that Marine Le Pen is, is also able to seize on is the fact that she has been outflanked significantly to the right from Eric Zemmour, who I'm sure that you will be covering uh, relatively shortly. Yes, we will. But because she is no longer the one who is, you know, talking the most about immigrants, talking the most about um, uh, Muslims, and talking the most about uh, these sort of, you know, supposed dangers of the French identity, right? Quote, yeah. Unquote. Um, she is now able to seize focus on the cost of living, and she is able to drive her candidacy based on that alone. Will it be enough for her to win the election? Well, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, yeah, you bring up that's a good point. You bring up the idea issues of immigration because that ties into other more uh, her seeming more like a populist uh, or like a um, you know uh, distributive uh, economics because this ties into her anti-globalizationism in which like she wants to protect na uh, French national sovereignty both economically um, away from you know international finance um, as well as you know the marketplace um, and privatization of uh, certain certain companies and then and on the social side there is the issue of which she says that multiculturalism has failed and is a threat to french uh society and french culture as you bring it as you bring in you know immigrants that come in and supposedly dilute uh the, the culture though it's often a a dog whistle for race and when it comes to the far right as well um since you know most of these immigrants are not are, are coming from you know uh, former colonized areas and particularly in the middle east and from uh uh, North Africa. This and this ties into what we were saying with the economic part of you know increase of like you know how would the government afford these policies that she's going to do? She says, well, we're going to take away the benefits that uh, you know immigrants currently have. We're going to kick them out of uh, of the country by by deporting immigrants um, and stripping French uh, citizens of people who view who view uh, you know uh, extreme Islamist views. But my question is, what do you define as extreme Islamist views? Since you know your state is often you know very uh, combative against that. So she's going to pay for these things. And, and on the, uh, the foreign side, it's very interesting is because she has been an outstanding critic of NATO as well as the European Union because of you know, globalization um, and also her, her close ties uh, to, this, to uh, Russia. Um, she, has, she has been a great big fan of uh, Putin. And that actually did hurt her in the initial uh, – uh, phase of the of the Russo-Ukrainian war, but she's been able to uh, tidy up her image to make her more presentable. And French people are probably going to care more about the the price squeeze that they are going to feel rather than whether she was buddy buddies with you with Putin. And another candidate that has been also been uh, you know very much trying to uh, um, benefit from the popular disapproval with uh, uh, Macron has been uh, Jean Luc Mélenchon, uh, who is the leader of uh, La France Insoumise. What Jean-Luc proposes, uh, or Jean-Luc, I feel like I'm saying Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> uh, Mélenchon proposes is basically kind of the same things of what Le Pen wants to do. 
but but even more extreme. He wants to freeze prices on gas and petrol and food in the short term and raise the minimum wage uh, to 1,400 per month and lower the retirement age to 60, which is actually a policy that he shares with Le Pen and something that Macron actually advocated in his campaign that he would raise the age of retirement from, from 62 to 65, which I think is the dumbest thing you can do because telling uh, people who are about, about to retire that, oh, sorry, you're not going to get be able to retire, is not how you win votes. It's certainly not a winning strategy. No, it's not. I think, however, he might still be able to capitalize on the fact that while it is not exactly a way to win votes among older people, it is certainly uh, fiscally responsible to some extent. The French yeah. state spends an incredible amount of money on their pensions. And while uh, Le Pen and Minichel may promise that they want to lower the retirement age to 60, that simply isn't feasible. Well, we'll have to see if they, if they, can, if they can be able to do it. Uh, furthermore, he also ha- wants to restore the, the wealth tax um, in order to impose and impose a levy on polluters, which is, I guess, one way of, of being able to pay for that. Um, as well as impose controls on capital movements, which is also a very big uh, aspect. In regards to foreign policy, he is also kind of similar to Le Pen, um, you know, wanting to withdraw from NATO uh, and use a veto in the EU to block new free trade agreements, as well as you know, uh, enlar- as well as uh, enlargement of the EU without social or physical alignment. He would also offer a solemn. Uh, Asylum to whistleblowers, for example, like uh, uh, Edward Snowden or or whatnot. And furthermore, in energy, he would end market uh, determ- determination of, of energy prices um, with a price stability guarantee, which is very which is very radical and unusual in a, in a you know most capitalist uh, soci- societies that we live in. And that he would end nuclear and fossil fuel generated power by twenty fifty. I think you see on a really good point in yeah. that there are a lot of similarities in Mélenchon and Le Pen's uh, party platforms, at least in terms of their economic agenda and in their broad anti-globalization stance. I think obviously the main difference between the two is the fact that uh, Mélenchon does not extend this view uh, towards people coming from other countries yeah. and towards the diaspora of immigrants who already live in France. Um, the Le Pen family has always, of course, you know, belonged to the very far right, and that is a point that they are driving, um, at least in terms of immigration. But I think that it is important to note that uh, Mélenchon and Le Pen are both seizing on a popular um, anti-globalism stance that, as you said, was reflected in the uh, Gilets jaunes protest. Um, uh, and it really does strike at the heart of their comprehensive uh, anti-globalization plans, which you know are very uh, counter to uh, Emmanuel Macron, who is a open... Uh, who is someone who has openly embraced the European Union, who has openly embraced the process of globalization as yeah. well as markets power more generally. And I think that it is interesting that both of them are seizing on a very protectionist uh, nature that has been you know, quite typical of France, all things considered, over the past few decades. When it came to debates in the European Union, it was often the free trading British who were in these you know, extensive debates with the French who were actively involved in protecting their markets, mm-hmm. right? who were actively involved in protecting their industry, their farms. Um, and Macron's uh, change, while he still has, you know, tried to appeal to farmers and tried to appeal to leaders of these industries, um, is really quite counter to a lot of the French sentiment. And so I wonder uh, if this, if the return of this sort of desire for protectionism and this uh, anti-globalization sentiment will actually uh, overcome overcome Macron's liberalism. I think that that's something that I will be uh, very interested to see. Yeah, and, and and the consequences of either one of them, I think. It- 
we'll, we'll tell you the, what our, what our uh, expectations for this election is later on. But I think the, it would be very fascinating. It would be very uh, – be it would be a pretty uh, big uh, a sea change if, if, if either one of them were to, were to oust Macron uh, from, from power. Certainly in the European Union. Definitely. Which is what a lot of uh, observers are interested in. And it would reflect um, – it would certainly be the stop of – the um the alignment of the stars as we can see sort of yeah. in a lot of um important countries uh in the european union a focus on more pro-european policy a readiness among the european population to take the next steps in integration right to focus more on security to focus more on collective action yeah and particularly in the case of russia with this new environment exactly exactly and i think that um either Mélenchon or le pen more likely the latter um out of the two winning the french election would be a real um would be would put a real stop to that progress, um, which I think you know for those of us who are uh, like myself in favor of the European Union, it could be a real shame. Yeah, I think I think it would be a shame to see the pro- the uh, what everything that has been won by the European Union uh, be lost because of uh, only one of one state. Well, particularly France as uh, you know a cornerstone member of uh, of the European Union, one oh, of certainly. the key pillars of it. Yeah, I also Europe, wanted to. Might say. Yeah, exactly. And one of the key, and also I did want to uh, finish off with Mélenchon by saying that he would change, not only would he change the economy and foreign policy of France, he would also change the institutional structure by moving it from the Fifth Republic, which was started under de Gaulle, that made it the current presidential republic that it is now, into one where it gives more power to the the parliament. This would be the Sixth Republic. He would also lower the voting age to 16 years, which is I, I don't think there are there are only a, only a few countries in the world have lower that to sixteen, except for like I think I know Argentina has Austria, I believe Austria, yeah. Uh, but the, and also he would allow citizens to trigger a referendum, uh, changing the constitution uh, or proposing a new law if the support of the threshold is met. So we we talked previously about Zemmour. Zemmour is the other far right candidate from uh, the the party Reconquête or Reconquest. But unlike Le Pen, he is a bit more liberal in his economics, since he would uh, cut taxes on low salaries as well as pensions to boost a net income, and he would scrap foreigners' uh, welfare benefits and increase the retirement age to sixty four, and he would offer no tax on inheritances below twenty uh, twenty thousand euros. He would also be much like Le Pen, very intent on deporting immig- uh, immigrants, um, specifically deporting all immigrants who are unemployed for at least six for at least six months, and create a ministry of reimmigration. Furthermore, he is also the more like crazy white right wing stuff is uh, with social policy, in which he would, um, you know revoke welfare for subsidies for parents of students who are deemed difficult or who skip class. I know that's, that's insane. He is a particularly interesting character. Yeah. I think it is um, when you think about the type of person you have to be to make Marine Le Pen look um, slightly moderate. I think, you know, Eric Zemmour is a pretty, yeah. <laughs> is a pretty uh, good example of, of I mean, someone that, you know. Yeah. He would also have uh, Mohammed. Uh, among names that will be banned, uh, no head scarves in public spaces, same as Le Pen, ban on construction of minarets, uh, different from Le Pen, and would re- impose strict uh, controls on imams. Um, he would also grant bonuses for families in rural areas for more than two years for, e- for the birth of each child and would create the Ministry of, fam- of Family which would be in charge of boosting the birth rate. This ties into a really whack, really 
I wouldn't say wacky because it is well known within the far right and believed by a lot of far riders called the Great Replacement, which ties into the anti-immigration stuff, which is basically the conspiracy that some group um, is trying to uh, destroy white uh, Western civilization by outbreeding them or bringing in more uh, Muslims or foreign immigrants. It's certainly a particularly yeah. crazy theory, um, it is. but it does emerge from French. <laughs> it does. It does emerge. Uh, it does from, emerge from, from French, French political thought. Yes, and, uh, and it is spread quite considerably yes. uh, among the French right wing. Even Valé, uh, even Valé Pécresse. I yeah, mean, yeah. Now that's the other candidate who was actually tied in the polls in some polls uh, with Eric Zemmour, who is a more center right candidate. She said about the Great Replacement, uh, but obviously not about race, but more about French culture. Um, and then I, you have. Yeah, I think a, one's a dog whistle for the other. Yes, exactly. But then below uh, Pecles is the variety of uh, right of left wing parties um, that have, but below five uh, percent. For example, the uh, the ecologist with Yannick Jadot, uh, Roussel, uh, which is the Communist Party, which is more moderate than Mélenchon. I know it's crazy. He also looks like Alec Baldwin. He's pretty handsome as well. Um, then you, you can have, say that he's got a shot. <laughs> he's got a shot i don't think he does we also have hidalgo from the uh the, the corpse of the the party socialist or socialist party uh you also have some miscellaneous right uh or center right candidates you have puto with uh, from the anti-capitalist party and the trotskyists alto both at one percent i think they have a great shot and we can expect them to become the next uh french president especially i'm excited for alto's uh the United uh, Socialist States of Europe. Well, at least they have me in terms of the uh, United States of Europe. I think, <laughs> I think when it comes to these, uh, this uh, milieu of uh, left-wing parties, uh, someone who I, uh, a French person who I spoke to on the subject of the election had a, a pretty good quote when it came to that, which is that the right is fractured, but the left is splintered. And I think you can really see that in terms of um, the candidates who were big enough to uh, be worth discussing. Yeah. Right? Pretty much all of them. Right wing, two yeah. of them incredibly far right. Yeah, and with one only, center right. Exactly, with only one, uh, you know, real left wing candidate. You know, actually, you know, particularly extreme. Uh, while the extreme left and center left are, you know, splintered on the floor of the opinion polls. Yeah, exactly. Nowhere, be, no, can't even reach uh, beyond five percent. And and speaking of talking with French people, this is the reason, and also the reason why I brought you on here, Elliot, was because. During this week, during last weekend, we actually went to France as part of the tradition of where I go out and I do the, my gumshoe, you know, uh, reporting by going out and asking people. And we didn't go to Paris because I think Paris is a bit overrated and too expensive. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like Paris. It's, 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 it's an it's a controversial opinion. I, I I think I think it is it's un so uncontroversial that it's controversial. Oh. <laughs> but we went to the city of uh, Lille in the, in the north, and we went not only just to the city center, but also to working class suburbs and middle class suburbs as well. And we interviewed a wide spectrum of French society, talking to uh, a roughly, I think we got 92 people. Yeah, we yeah. got 92. And we want to wrap this up, this episode up by generally talking about what we found out when we talked with uh, average French people. For sure. Basically seeing what are the major trends that, that you know French voters have or what are the, ma are the major concerns. For sure. And I think one of the – so first of all, everyone was actually you know quite welcoming. I think there was only really one person, uh, one or two people who oh, were, yeah. who were um, you know so rude as to uh, – Ask me if I'm speaking French. It was, that, was, <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was particularly uh, – that was a particularly interesting, yeah. uh, interesting interview. 
and, but, the, I, but we uh, even even one Zemmour guy was very kind enough to speak with us. Well, you know, I think that, <laughs> I think that had a lot to do with how we looked, but. Uh, <laughs> But I think, you know, it, it does get to, uh, it does really um, get to the heart of uh, their concerns, right? You know, the people who are, uh, who are talking with us uh, raised uh, a pretty similar set of concerns, actually, right? So security, including uh, the Ukrainian crisis, uh, the war in Ukraine, mm. um, the issue of immigration, although a lot of them actually, and this is something we'll get to uh, yeah. in more in depth, weren't concerned about immigrants themselves, but rather were concerned about the rhetoric that you hear on the far right about yeah. immigrants. They were concerned about them, you know, as fellow uh, fellow, fellow humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah fellow, fellow humans and fellow citizens of France. I think it's something that, you know, that was that was actually particularly good to see. Um, I was worried that we would, you know, run into, you know, uh, especially in parts that had, you know, voted for uh, Le Pen in large amounts, that we would run into uh, hotbeds of anti-immigrant sentiment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, on an, I was pleasantly surprised by the um, solidarity. Rather, yeah, by the solidarity, uh, as well as by the, um, you know, kind-natured attitudes that we encountered from people. Um, although I think, and this is something that gets to the heart of it, and we'll we'll discuss this more, you know, in depth. They discussed the issues of security. They discuss the issues of immigration. They discuss the issues of cost of living, and surprisingly, many of them uh, discuss the issue of Europe. Right? Yeah. wanting France to be a more active member of Europe, wanting Europe to have you know more of a say uh, on the global stage yeah. as the European Union. Yes. No. I mean, even one uh, Zemmour supporter, um, which was I thought was very funny, was a thought of a more like you know integrated and more secure and stronger Europe. Which is yeah, it is it is incredibly. Now the one thing that's actually worth noting is that Zemmour is not at least in his party program, although he has previously been very Eurosceptic. Yeah. Uh, his party program is not as uh, Eurosceptic as Marine Le Pen's. Yes. Um, and that is actually only about as Eurosceptic as uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon's. Actually, the level of, you know, calls for a Frexit, the levels of, you know, calls for the sort of deintegration has have slowed down. Yeah. Uh, they want to pull out of some treaties, right? You know, which would be a pretty big deal. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not as big as saying we want to leave. Yeah. Even Mélenchon doesn't want to leave the European Union. He just wants to be like, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be an obstructionist for us to like, you know, the continue neoliberalization uh, in the European Union which he would he would say yeah he's against um and, and, and he also yeah he also wants to unilaterally pull out of, of uh, various European treaties and but the main thing that would be the similarity is NATO pulling out of NATO yep. and this and, would damage like a United front against Russia and Europe certainly and the Pen has also spoken about pulling out of uh, NATO's unified command structure now that yes. would not be unusual for France actually they have they've they done that before they've done that before and under de Gaulle exactly and they came back I believe now this is going to be a little bit embarrassing I, I don't know my own NATO knowledge but uh, I believe they came back in approximately uh 2014. So, um, yeah, now yeah. as to who our interviewee said they were voting for, I think we should talk yes. about the, the big outlier. The, bi the big one, yeah, the big outlier actually we t did talk about. I mean, ours is not exactly the most accurate poll, so take this with a grain of salt. We only talked to two Le Pen supporters. Who were open about being Le Pen supporters. Yes, and they were, uh, and they were young guys like us, working class, I believe. Um, the Zamora supporters were actually more outspoken. Um, than Le Pen supporters. Much more so. Yeah. But the main trends that we actually saw, one of the most striking ones was not for any particular candidate at all, was but was undecided or even apathetic. Mm -hmm. Most people, uh, French people were like, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what to think. Or that they would be like, you know, politics is a game. It, it's not going either it won't. It either it doesn't affect me, or if it does affect me, there's nothing I can do about it, and mm -hmm. that there's nothing that can come to benefit me. And but even when we asked some of the undecided voters of a scenario between uh, Macron versus Le Pen, which starting to look in the second round, which is starting to look ever more and more uh, possible. Actually, it's, it, it's, it's almost certain. It's, it's certain it's going to happen. But, 
But what's going to happen, we're uncertain, is who's going to win. Because it's starting to look more and more tighter as the race got get, gets by. Indeed, yeah. As of right now, for, according to a uh, poll of polls, or you can bring up the other poll, is yeah. – the current uh, the current second round poll is fifty three to forty seven percent, and that was down. And Macron's chances has severely tightened since uh, uh, since, uh, since, since a while ago. Since, since about mid March. Mid March, so. yeah. So now what I have here is the latest uh, slate of polls that have yeah. been released today. Um, and one of them, and this is what's made headlines now, of course, it, you know, uh, it is yeah, it's only one. <laughs> it is it is one of approximately seven yeah. uh, new polls that have come out today uh, have actually shown Le Pen in the lead. But I think your number of 53 to 47 is a pretty good polling average. Yeah. It's essentially what everyone is saying with a fluctuation of maybe one or two percent uh, in each poll at most. Yes. So Macron looks to be the likely victor. But but the pen is really tight in this heel. Yes, and we and and who knows something could happen in election night. I mean, I I, I think still I think it is still too close to call right now. And I and I think I would be more wary of saying this is Macron's going to win. But even if he does win, it's still going to be by the skin of his teeth. It is going to be a very close election. Yeah. It's going to be nothing close to what he uh, or you know it is likely not yeah. going to be anything close to what he enjoyed in 2017, which was approximately 66 to 34. Yeah, it was it was um yeah it was no it was it was bigger it was sixty uh, it was sixty six point one percent to uh, thirty three point nine percent. Okay, yeah. So it's nothing compared to, to twenty seventeen. But hey, there's still some hope. I mean, the, back then, uh, Le Pen was uh, was uh, positioned to uh, get forty percent in, in, of the vote in twenty seventeen, and she, but she got thirty three percent. Um, and some and most of the people that we did talk to, when given the scenario of Le Pen versus Macron competition. Most of them almost immediately side with Macron yeah. because they're either terrified of – they're just terrified of Le Pen. And But I think the real kicker is also going to be – the real wild card is going to be left-wing voters because it looks like Mélenchon's not going to make it into the fourth round, second round. And even if he does, he's going to lose. I mean he's going to lose – what's predicted – Matt, 40, 60, uh, 60 to 40 percent. Yeah, similar, yeah, similar to the numbers uh, that Le Pen faced in yes. 2017. Now, exactly as you said, the wild card here – uh, are Mélenchon voters now notably Mélenchon, or just left wing left wing voters, left -wing in, general, voters yeah. in general? But Mélenchon voters, I would say in particular, because yeah. they sort of share this. Um, you know, the left wing, including Hidalgo and Jadot, have this you know broadly uh, liberal yeah. outlook. Yeah, those ones are they, those ones are more willing to work than Macron. Mélenchon voters that we talked to, when given the uh, option between Macron versus Le Pen, some of them would say Ma Macron, some of them would say vote blanche, which is. None of the above. Exactly. And that actually is representative now, according to Politico, of approximately half of Mélenchon's voters. Now, as I was sort of um, – as I was saying before, Mélenchon's voters are not necessarily Mélenchon's base. Yeah. There are a lot of voters who uh, belong to the left wing who are willing to go for Mélenchon just because they think he's the only one and they're right. He's yeah. the only left wing candidate who has a chance of getting into the second yeah. round. Now – his base, however, are very anti-establishment. You were laying out earlier in the episode. Yeah. They are people who are – The uh, gilets jaunes. The gilets jaunes. They are – well, you know, yeah, some of them are there. Uh, a lot of them are aware of these um, – they are aware and they are participating in this very you know, populist anti-establishment sentiment that uh, is directed against politicians like Macron, which is why you know many of them would see common cause with Le Pen. 50 percent, according to Politico, 50 percent of Mélenchon's voters would abstain in the upcoming election. And then the remaining uh, 50 percent are split about evenly yeah. between Macron and Le Pen. Which, yeah, you know, 25 to 25. Exactly, which is a bit of a, you know, 
bit of a concern, yeah. Bit of a concern, yeah. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, but yeah, that should. But Melanchthon's obviously not a national Bolshevik. <laughs> no, he is not. Yeah, if you actually want to learn about national Bolsheviks, uh, listen go to, to my podcast. go to my other podcast, Ideological Obscura. But yes, um, so in, in summary, a first round. Probably Macron's most likely going to win. He's at 27%. Indeed. The Le Pen is increasingly on his heels even in that one. Yeah, because she's at 22%, and that has tightened since in the last couple days. What we see in the first round will be a very good indicator of what we will see in the second. Also because if Le Pen is particularly close, it will likely inspire more people to sort of awake from the yeah. dogmatic slumber of vote blanche and you know or undecidedness exactly and bite the bullet and you know vote for macron although i think there are a lot of people who you know for reasons good or ill are uh, dead set against voting uh for either the liberal president or his far-right competitor yes so i mean it's gonna be an interesting one folks it's unlike germany where it was Almost pretty much in the bad election night, it did get tightened, but you know, yeah, I was, predict. I, I actually, I did. I, I'm pretty proud of myself. I predicted it quite well. <laughs> I'm just gonna give, gloat a little bit on that. I was a lot more on the fence. I mean, obviously, as a uh, SPD supporter myself, uh, <laughs> I was a little bit. I yeah. was hopeful, but I was, uh, I was cautious. And I think that this is, um, this is very much unlike Germany because unlike Germany, where you have you know this broad centrist coalition, mm-hmm. you know, two parties out of that uh you know broad center coalition right and only you know one of them so bad that there would be a genuine coton sanitaire against them in france you are consistently seeing as we said before the death of the center left yes the death of the center right the emergence of sort of macron as this broadly centrist force and then combating him largely uh extreme right with uh the occasional extreme left yes and i mean the funny thing is that even the communists are even are actually more moderate than Mélenchon in their program indeed you know there it takes something to stand out and that's one of the downsides of a two-round election right yes. you know uh you know uh in the in our ancestral homeland it is a uh, <laughs> it is it's often, a one and done deal it's one and done deal and it often feels like you know uh, i know that you are you are more left-wing than i am yeah uh it can feel you know helpless for people who you know really want an option that's different from the uh broadly center-left democrats and the broadly right-wing republicans yes right so yeah no very much france does kind of remind me of that you have like between yeah france, but between the center now. and the and and the far right but yes Thank you. Thank you so much, Ellie, for coming on. And thank you for coming with me to uh, Lila as well. Um, And thank you for everyone listening to this uh, wonderful podcast. Um, If you're French, don't forget to vote, um, especially in the second round, because it's going to be a big deal. Doesn't matter who you vote for. I mean, we wouldn't, we don't endorse Le Pen. I mean, <laughs> we very much do not. And do also, not. this is a time to vote. This is a time to stand up. For yeah. You. So get out the vote, uh, get out your baguettes, <laughs> and get oh out your escargot. We even had, I had escargot for the first time there. It, it was, was delicious. delicious. It was delicious. It was delicious. But thank you, everybody. Uh, vive la France and good night. Vive la France, vote and eat snails. Yeah. <laughs>